Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Adam Toporek. He's the author of Be Your Customer's Hero, Real World Tips and Techniques for the Service Frontlines. Great to have you with us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's dive right into it. Is it true that sort of the genesis of this book came out of your frontline experience, your experience in the customer service industry? Well, yeah, it's a mixture of my own frontline experience when I was younger and my experience running businesses and managing frontline employees. So as a leader and somebody in the C-suite, I had this hankering just to have this one thing I could give to an employee. I wanted that one resource I could hand to an employee and say, hey, this is what you need to know to succeed with customers. And while there are a lot of great customer service books out there, I never found one that really spoke to them in their language and that would just give them those tools and tips. So I wrote it. Right. So you sort of took the words out of my mouth. You know, there are a lot of customer service books out there. I mean, they run the gamut. So what makes yours different aside from the die in the cape? <laughs> one thing, it really is designed for the front lines, for the people that are in the real world and dealing with customers because it's meant to be conversational. And I, I found that a lot of frontline employees, and they skew younger, sure. you know, they they don't have time for fluff anymore. They don't have time for sort of your granddad's customer service advice. They really want to know what is effective there. And a lot of the advice that I think they've been exposed to through trainings and so forth to sort of you know, be your customer's best friend and everything will follow. Right. And they go, well, that doesn't help me when somebody's yelling at me and I can't give them what they want. What do I do then? Right. So the other thing I did was I focused on short chapters. So the book can be read from end to end, but it can also be digested as a reference book. So you can go back and find that piece. Oh, hey, what did he say about working with upset customers? And you can use it to go back and hone those techniques. Yeah, and you mentioned the layout, Adam, which I really appreciated because it's sort of set up in these 10 user-friendly sections. So as you said, you know, you can read it in one, you know, A to Z read or go back and pick and choose the references that pertain to you. One thing that you said, I like you, you say you motivate, you don't educate. What is the difference there? Yeah, I think education is really focused on imparting knowledge. But what happens with frontline employees is there's, and we'll probably talk about psychology later, but there's sure. a huge psychological aspect, as you know from reading the book, to their own mentality about customers. And knowledge isn't enough. It's showing them how to use that knowledge, showing them how to understand their own feelings and their own emotions. So the motivational part is about actually getting them confident with the tools and the techniques so that they feel motivated to want to go out and do a good job because a lot of frontline employees really have difficulty with the challenges of frontline service and when they do they sort of tend to turtle up and shell in right. and you want to bring them out of that and give them that confidence. So just to go back for a moment to clarify, when you say frontline you mean someone working the cashier, working on the service floor, dealing with customers face to face. Correct. That so, interface. Right. Frontlines is anybody that's dealing directly with the customer. Now whether it's phone or email or face-to-face -face in a store. It's the direct interaction with the customer at the sort of lowest level in the organization. Okay, and, and I like, uh, there's a glossary you set up at the top of the book, and there's another distinction that I appreciated, Adam. You said customer service versus customer experience, two very different things. How, how would you separate those? Customer experience is the entire journey. It's the entire experience your customer has with your organization. So customer experience involves a marketing piece they may get or an email anything.
saying it's not just a point in time. Customer service, and there's the traditional lens, is a part of customer experience. And it's a little gray, but still, customer service is more about that one-to-one -one interaction, and I'm helping to serve you in the moment. But that may not be the entire experience. So if you come in, let's say we're working at a bookstore. Okay. We still have a few of those, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're at a bookstore, and I'm behind the counter. So the customer service will be while I'm helping you. That's part of customer service. But customer experience may be were the aisles clean, were the shelves clean, were they neat, were they organized? All of that feeds the experience, or as we talk about, the customer journey. Sure, okay. And you know, you mentioned through your own frontline experience, you felt that there was a void and there was a reason you needed to, to write this book. Because what weren't you getting at the time? You, you were saying sort of, you, know, you can be told to be a customer's best friend, but you felt that nobody was telling you how to employ the techniques, showing you real actual ways to put this into motion. As you pointed out, uh, Be Customer's Hero has 10 sections. The first three sections are all about mentality and mindset. Okay. And I think that's really the differentiation point. That's what I wish I knew when I was young and on the front lines is mindset, not only understanding customers' mindset, what makes them tick and why they do what they do, but my own mindset. Why am I taking something personally? Why can't I depersonalize this situation? Why am I getting upset when I don't need to be? Okay. And I think so many frontline people, you know, they're not experienced in the world and business in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. and they don't have these skills and this lens on how we all think. Yeah, Adam, I mean, there is a big emphasis. The whole first part of the book is this like, emphasis on psychology and mentality of the customer and also the customer service rep. Why is it so important, both sides? Well, if you look at it from the standpoint of experience, mm -hmm. what does every experience have in common? They are all filtered through this imperfect organ called the human brain, right? Right. So it behooves us to understand how that human brain works. Now, the good news is we live in like the golden age of psychology. We've learned more about neuroscience and what makes humans tick in the last few decades than we probably have ever known before. The bad news is what we've learned is that we are all basically irrational. Okay. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, no one wants to hear it, but we are because we're designed, our mind is designed to take shortcuts. So if you look at so sociology, society, digital technology, all these things have evolved very rapidly, but our brains have evolved pretty slowly. We still have, unfortunately, caveman brain. And that made sense. So we're designed to make snap judgments, and we used to have to know, you know, whether that noise in the bushes was a bunny or a tiger, right? Yeah. And these snap judgments aren't that fun when it comes to customer experience. So here's how you can apply these principles to customer experience. So we've all heard of first impressions, right? Right. And there's a ton of research on first impressions, and they all basically say the same thing. No matter what the study is, first impressions happen subconsciously, and they happen very quickly. Now, there's another principle called confirmation bias, and that is basically the principle that we all want to be right, which is why politics is so much fun, because right. what we do is we ignore the evidence that tells us we're wrong, and we accept the evidence that tells us we're right. So when you combine those two things, that's an important factor when you're looking at designing customer experience. You take a first impression, and you combine that with confirmation bias, and what do you have? You have a bad first impression, you're already in the hole, because they are trying, the human brain is trying to tell them that that first impression, what they already believe, is correct. And they're looking for evidence that tells them it's correct, and they're ignoring the evidence that says, hey, okay, maybe that was a bad first impression. Right. Similarly, there's something called negativity bias. And this is why, you know, the evening news always leads with your microwave is going to kill you, right? Because we are attuned to negative information. It's part of that scarcity or, scarcity or threat, like our attack. We are always looking for what's a threat. So we give more credence, this has been proven scientifically, we give more credence to negative information than positive information. Meaning if you give a bad experience, it is going to be weighted heavier than a positive experience. Why is that? Just 
human nature. <laughs> so we go back to the we're all irrational. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Going back to that, right. right. And that's basically it. It's really it's how we're hardwired. So what I find fascinating from a customer experience standpoint is you can use all these psychological principles and evaluate each touch point, each place where you come into contact with the customer and say, how are we violating them? How are we prepared if we sort of set those off? Sure. How are we prepared to deal with that? Are our teams trained for that? Right. And I like in the book, you sort of set up all of these uh, psychological mechanisms. We can't get to all, but you just touched upon a couple. C-Suite Radio. Something that struck me, it's sort of ingrained in our heads, maybe in the irrationality that you just mentioned. The customer is always fill in the blank. Nine out of 10 times, you'd say, customer's always right. But you actually say in the book that that's a ridiculous statement. Yeah, so Why is that the a ridiculous book statement? Right there it says real world. Right. <laughs> As opposed to fake world. Tips. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the, right. the real world. If anybody who's in the real world knows that's not true, customers can not only be wrong, they can be nuts and mean and all kinds of different things. But the customer is always right. The principle behind it. The problem is the ethic. You know, the ethic behind it got lost, and the phrase carried over, and everybody mm -hmm. goes, "Oh, that's ridiculous." Customer isn't always right. But that was from a time when customers weren't. You know, there wasn't customer service, and people wanted. You know, they were trying to teach people, "Hey, the customer is valuable. Their opinion is valuable." So what we do is we try to look at it as the customer is the customer, and that means you and the customer are not on the same level customer service. We are there to serve the customer. Okay. They are our focus. They're not there to give to us. They're not there. Now they should be decent and should be good and there's some there's some lines they shouldn't cross. But big picture, that's it. It's customer service and we're there to serve. Okay, so if you could sort of modernize that maximum. The customer is always, how would you sort of tweak it, Adam? <laughs> I mean, it's you mentioned the customer is always nuts. So right, yeah. <laughs> aside from that, <laughs> I mean, is crazy. there a modern day reference? Yeah, the customer is always the customer, which is sort of a tautology, but okay. it really is the phrase that goes around because that's the point. We know what a customer is in modern times. And if you are a customer-centric organization, right. that means what you're doing, your actions, your processes, your systems should all be revolving around the customer. So wait, was there a time when things didn't revolve around the customer? I'd say there's always always been you know good customer service companies and bad customer service companies but I think we've got a lot more knowledge in you know the last half century about business about human beings and training you know customer service training you know, didn't exist in 1920 you know this this is a new thing so I think we've absolutely improved uh, in recent years you mentioned there's a lot to get to uh, you mentioned seven service triggers Adam to be avoided we're not going to get to all of them but one and two struck you have to read the book for three yes. through seven so we'll talk about service trigger one was being ignored and service trigger two being abandoned. Tell us a little bit about sort of how you came up with these triggers and why these were the first two. Well, you know, we talked about the psychology and psychological principles. So triggers on a sort of personal level are, you know, say you in college, you had a noisy upstairs neighbor and they were driving you crazy every night. And mm -hmm. then, you know, 10, 15 years later, you go to a hotel and there's a noisy person above you and it's like something snaps, right? We have right. those triggers. Or you're in the car and you hear the song, you start getting emotional and you realize it's the song your grandmother used to like sing to you all the time. So we all have these personal triggers, these little hot buttons you know, positive or negative. And what I've seen is across sort of the population of customers, there are certain triggers that a lot of us have that are based on customer service. So you mentioned being ignored. Let me ask you a question, Taryn. Okay. Have you ever walked into a restaurant and sat there and just waited and nobody came up to you? Sure, all the time. All right. Or sat at the table and where was the waitress or waiter? Right. Good question. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And how does that make you feel? Not so good. Terrible, right. <laughs> right. Bad customer service. Yeah. What happens if that happens at the same restaurant twice? You don't go back a third time. Right. Because the second time, you're starting to look, right? The second time, right. when they're just a normal amount of time, you're starting to go, okay, are they coming this time? Mm -hmm. they? And we have these triggers, and they don't even have to be at the same company. So they can be at 
is something we carry with us. So we've all been abandoned. Have you ever had somebody say, hey, well, I can't handle that for you. I need to get my manager involved. My manager will call you uh, tomorrow. Yeah. And they never called. And after that happens a few times, we've all become this person, which is, no, 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 slow down. Oh, who's going to call me? What's their name? Right. What's their number? Who do I call if they don't call me? Right? right. And that's because that's a trigger. And what's great about these triggers, like you said, there's seven of them, is you can design your touch points around them, meaning you can use them as a lens, as a layer to understand, okay, let's look at this experience. Are we ignoring people? What happens when somebody walks in our store? Mm -hmm. What happens when somebody calls? Do they go into the phone tree abyss, right? Is our phone tree seven layers deep? Right. And you can look at all these triggers and say, let's take our touch point and let's design around these. Because here's the thing, even if like being ignored is not a big trigger for you, it's still a negative experience for you. Sure. So even when the triggers aren't hot buttons, they're still great lenses for experience. Something that bothers me, and you touch upon this in the book, is when you call customer service, you have a complaint, you go through your whole song and dance, then you get transferred, and you have to start from square one again. And it's like, really? My story wasn't relayed. I just spent 10 minutes. So how do you sort of troubleshoot that? Well, yeah, it's called, that's actually trigger, I believe, number five, oh. being shuffled, oh, right? I didn't so mean to give it away. Right? No, 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 it's good. And now we've given away three. Uh, okay. um, no, so uh, being tr shuffled is trigger number five because nobody likes that. I mean, we hate it. I, I tell a story in one of my keynote speeches or it's like a two and a half hour experience with a bank and I don't get resolution until the seventh person. Right. So there's a few things you can do. We teach some of this in the book that are for frontline people, but also for the C-suite, there are some techniques you can use. And one is really looking at who goes into the pipeline and where they go and making sure that sort of the pipeline, so to speak, is going to direct people the right way the first time or the second time at least. Have as many layers before. And that comes down to the competence and the training and the systems of the person who's answering that phone. So the person who's answering the phone, they need to know when you have X, Y, Z problem, it goes to X department, Y department, and Z department. So that's the first layer, because how many times were you transferred to that, you know, to somebody else? And you're actually transferred back to the department you started at. That's, yep. that's a fun one, right? I think it's happened to everyone. Yeah, uh -huh. Uh -huh. You love that, right? That's great. Right. Oh, hi, I'm back. Right. right. Oh, oh, it's you again. <laughs> Adam, you mentioned the C-suite, because I did want to touch upon that. This book is sort of directed at the front lines, face to face, but how do you sort of bridge that gap to the C-suite. Oh, absolutely. What is the sort of artery that connects them both? It's looking at customer experience. I okay. mean, so the book is for the frontline people, but what's happened is I've had people tell me since the book came out, I was sort of surprised by this, all levels of the organization, C-suite, middle management, supervisors say, you know, I've been able to use this book and the principles and the psychology and the communication tools. I've been able to use this in my job, not even just with customers, but with internal customers. This has helped me manage people better and communicate with people better right. and sort of treat my internal customer better. So there actually is a layer where it's useful for C-suite and people above. No, but that's terrific because if you're a C-suite executive, if you sort of look at your staff as a bunch of of your customers, why wouldn't you treat them as you would a customer in, in a store, in a retail shop? It's, you know, you want to make them feel like they're being serviced and wanted and respected. So it, I, I see where sort of the overlap is. So that's a good distinction to make because these, these can be applied to the C-suite executives. Right, so you can use it for the internal customer. And the other thing for a C-suite executive is one of the places I think customer experience fails mm -hmm. is on the human level. Okay. I mean, there's systems, there's processes, there's lots of places a customer experience can break down. But it's usually, the in any company that has a big human-to-human -human interaction, it's usually the human level. And part of that is the psychology we talked about, which is we value you know, an interaction with a human more than we value an interaction with a computer. Okay. It resonates more. It's a deeper to us. Right. So if it's negative, that's not good. Gotcha. And if it's positive, that's great. But people don't focus on training. The C-suite doesn't focus on training as much because that's the 
hardest part to fix in the customer experience. You know, fixing a line of code is easy, changing human behavior is not. So be your customer's hero can be an integral part of helping bridge that gap between what's happening on the uh, front lines in the real world and the training they need to do well in that environment. Adam, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm getting the cue that we are out of time. <laughs> oh, wow. And there's so much that we didn't get to, which is a reason why you have to read the book. Just to tease the audience a little bit, you talk about 10 power words that we all must use. I found those really interesting. You talk about something called the 10-5 rule. You talk about how to handle people who are just browsing. There's so many useful techniques. And who doesn't want to be a hero? So exactly. That's why you have to buy the book. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much, Darren. And the book is called Be Your Customer's Hero. You can check it out at our website, csweetbookclub.com. That's c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV. Like what you just heard? Visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.